0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Meditudes, where we'll be talking about medical misinformation. We'll be looking at what medical misinformation is, how it spreads, examples of how misinformation has been spread, and how to prevent the spread of misinformation in the future. But first, on to Adrian. We'll be talking about what medical misinformation is.
1: Misinformation is the spread of either misleading or false information that is portrayed to be true, and medical information refers to misinformation of specifically medical topics. Misinformation is not restricted to medicine, and continues to be prevalent throughout all aspects of society. All misinformation is problematic in its own way, and medical misinformation is no different. Since the advent of the internet, people have more information readily available, and are connected to more people which ultimately increases the amount of medical misinformation. Later on in the episode, Surya will discuss in more detail how medical misinformation spreads. There are several advantages to patients being able to access medical information more easily now compared to the past. The first key benefit is patients are more aware of their symptoms and are more likely to follow up on them. Reading up on symptoms allows for patients to know what it could mean and so they are more likely to follow up on it with their healthcare provider, earlier on in the stages of disease progression. Nowadays, people are more inclined to read up on their symptoms or diagnosis before going to a healthcare provider, and this is generally a good thing. It means that they are more educated beforehand, and allows them to understand what the doctor is saying more easily. Furthermore, it means that patients are more aware of their treatment options, and this gives them the tools to choose the treatment that they get. Ultimately, it is the patient who is going to be treated, and so it should be them who has the final decision in saying what treatment they get. A doctor's job is to provide them with all the information and options, but the patient ultimately reserves the right to choose their treatment. This is the advantage of medical information being readily available. However, these two advantages of exposure to medical information quickly turn into disadvantages and dangers when discussing medical misinformation. Firstly, most people are not fully educated with regards to medicine, and so reading up on this without knowledge can lead to misinterpretations, over-dramatisations and perhaps wasted clinician time. The NHS already suffers from staffing shortages, and the increased volume of patients does not help with this. It is better for a patient to see their doctor for no real concern than not seeing their doctor because they have dismissed their symptoms. The ideal case would be to strike a balance between these two extremes, such that patients are seeing doctors when necessary, but also generally being cautious. The danger of medical misinformation when it comes to patients and treatments is that they may receive contrasting information from their healthcare provider and wherever it is that they have sourced their information. This causes confusion and the patient may need to choose which information they trust. Some may choose not to trust their healthcare provider, More common in countries with a privatised healthcare system where patients may believe doctors is recommending a treatment for personal financial gain rather than for the well-being of the patient. So overall this is a disadvantage as patients may be choosing not to go to a specific form of treatment due to dangers they are forced to believing in because of medical misinformation. I will now hand over to Surya who will discuss in more detail how medical misinformation spreads. Misinformation
0: mainly spreads through social media. A study shows that the prevalence of health misinformation was the highest related to smoking products and drugs. However, misinformation on major public health issues, such as vaccines and diseases, was also high. Misinformation spreads mainly through groups that have extreme views and they address the concerns of those that are not well informed. For example, during the COVID-19 pandemic, it was seen that those that were not sure about their vaccine views gravitated more towards social media pages that had extreme anti-vaccination views. This is because the anti-vaccinators addressed and empathised with the concerns of vaccinators and so were able to gather more support from them. Uncertainty and extremist views are therefore common ways in which misinformation spread. Misinformation might also spread due to biased funding or vested interests. A notorious example of this occurred in 1998, where a major medical journal based in the UK, The Lancet, published a report headed by Andrew Wakefield, a a medical surgeon. The report implied a causal link between measles, mumps and rubella, the MMR vaccine, and the development of autism. This deterred many parents from vaccinating their children with the MMR vaccine. However, in 2004, a UK journalist named Brian Deer hoped to expose the fact that Wakefield had a financial conflict of interest related to the study. Firstly, Wakefield's studies was funded by resources including a lawyer who was working on an anti-vaccine lawsuit for people who believed that the vaccines caused their children's medical conditions. In reality, there is no solid evidence to prove a causal link between MMR vaccinations and autism, and so MMR is safe according to science. This shows how vested interests and financial motives can result in misinformation spreading. To to summarise, the three main ways in which misinformation spreads are due to extremist views, uncertainty and financial conflicts of interest. And now on to Anapan. examples of
2: misinformation. Now let's talk about some examples of medical misinformation that we might see that is spreading across social media. One which has taken a huge leap in recent years has been misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. These are spread across social media, especially on platforms such as Facebook, where public figures like Fox News host Tucker Carlson have been pushing their own agendas regarding the vaccines. In April of 2021, Tucker Carlson said that maybe the COVID-19 vaccine doesn't work, citing government advice to continue taking certain precautions as a hint that the vaccines weren't actually effective. Of course, this goes against hundreds of clinical trials and real-world studies proving that the vaccines are safe and that they are the best way to protect against the virus. For more information on that, see Medisodes episodes 1 or 44. Other theories regarding the COVID-19 vaccines include that they weren't properly tested or developed, especially regarding their fast rate of production due to governments spending a lot more to ensure these vaccines were produced. Blog posts that claim the FDA said the Pfizer's BioNTech vaccine killed trial participants spread all over the internet, even though that is not true. And claims that the FDA never signed off on the vaccines, even though the agency allowed them for emergency use, also led to people avoiding the vaccine. However, again, it is simply not true. There have also been more outlandish theories proposed by, the COVID- by conspiracy theorists regarding the COVID-19 vaccines, including that they contain microchips for government tracking programs, that they contain metals designed to poison the population and that the vaccines also give people certain DNA-altered abilities and powers, such as magnetism. However, all of these have had no proper scientific basis, and have instead been attributed to people trying to scare others out of taking the vaccine based on their own political or religious beliefs. Another major source of Medical misinformation is regarding the topic of cancer, which was the most viral health misinformation topic in 2019, according to a review by NBC News Analysis. The most engaged with the article about cancer in 2019 pushed a slew of medical conspiracies, including one positing that Big Pharma, a nebulous conspiracy theorist term for federal health organizations and doctors, were hiding a cure for cancer, claiming that they were too busy making money. Again, this is extremely overblown. And for more information on how drugs are actually developed to treat this, see Medisodes episode 31. Finally, one of the longest running medical misinformation programs, and one that has derived a lot of follow-up articles from doctors regarding it, has been about statins, powerful cholesterol-lowering drugs with robust benefits for people with cardiovascular disease. Common responses from patients regarding these have been that they worry that doctors make these recommendations for a reason of personal financial gain, and that information on the internet misleads them about the side effects. However, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of men and women around the world in the 21st century, and trying to get patients to take statins has become increasingly difficult due to non-scientific evidence misleading the public regarding these. These are just three examples of how medical misinformation has led to doctors struggling to get life-saving medicines, vaccines and health benefits to the population. But it shows how deep the problem runs. For more information about how we can stop this, I'm handing over to Shrey.
3: So, now we've established how damaging medical misinformation can be, it's important that we take steps to prevent its spread so the first way to do this is immediately in limiting the sharing of these fake news stories so to do that we need to identify the sources of this information and then we need to involve regulators and social media executives and other people in in media to take down the posts and like make sure that it isn't spreading further and it's important to note that most people like the general public don't get their medical news or science news from like academic journals usually if you're reading an academic journal you're already a scientist or some kind of doctor well hopefully they get it from trusted sources such as the bbc um, they might get it from newspapers or uh, most people nowadays it seems get it from social media so that's important uh, to consider with this, the editors of these publications should make sure they're not legitimising false information in the interest of balance because that can have a really negative effect. And if you've read Ben Goldacre's Bad Science, you'll know that the misunder- misinterpretation of science is used um, to create these flashy headlines. That can create a lot of trouble with the fact that people, if, if people remember shocking headlines rather than boring headlines and that's that's the main problem here is the newspaper companies or the media companies trying to get their money through making sure that you click on this article that says like this causes cancer or this causes cancer and that's an important thing that we need to try and stop through the government regulation the second is to improve scientific literacy so as i said most people don't get their um Don't get the information from academic journals, and it would just be impossible to read all of them anyway, even if you're a scientist. And so, but it's still important they understand how these, how to critically evaluate sources and come to their own decisions. And this comes in teaching the scientific method, how it works and why it works in primary school and secondary school, so people appreciate it. And to also, look at different cognitive errors and fallacies that people hold and when it comes to science. So people often focus on like the small but extreme risks rather than the general risks. For example, there was um, obviously with COVID-19 vaccines, there was some instance of blood clots. And obviously that was very bad. It actually meant that the AstraZeneca vaccine and got suspended for everyone under 30 in the UK but the thing is the risk of getting a blood clot from Covid is much much higher but that's not ever talked about so it's important to understand in context these figures that you have to there's a relative risk and there's the absolute risk and often the absolute risk is quite small even if it's you're twice as likely it's still only going to be like 1 2%. So that's an important consideration. And people need the scientific literacy to understand that. Also, many people harbor common misconceptions, maybe that's because when they were taught in school that this was the established scientific fact, but over time that's been corrected, but they haven't learned that. So they still think it in the old way. Actually something I found quite useful is the fact that now due to the pandemic mainly healthcare professionals and especially those in public health are actually being more given more media publicity so I doubt many people knew who Chris Whitty was uh, before the pandemic but now he's a household name and I think that's a good thing. Also um, on many news programs now there's the ability to have Q&As with with these healthcare professionals too, and that helps to clear up any doubt. And also, although social media can be uh, the spreader of this misinformation, it's simple, can also provide one-to-one interaction with these healthcare professionals, which is very valuable. There's also the fact that, as Adrian mentioned a bit, that echo chambers are definitely a thing when it comes to social media, and that people only read um, a certain, their certain worldview and that gets reinforced over and over again so if you're if you're left-wing you probably read the guardian and you only read stuff that um agrees with you because that's how social media people the social media companies make money by keeping you clicking on stuff like that and that's how they generate money that means you don't get the other view and sometimes the other view is illegitimate but it's still important to be it's it's very difficult for people to actively make sure and challenge their biases because it's not very comfortable and we we as humans like to be right so it's it's not really in our nature but it's an important thing to do is to check other sources and be more rounded in that way in your you know, general news consumption and your medical news consumption. And I think the most effective way to do this is by involving uh, to prevent the spread of m- misinformation is to involve all the stakeholders. So that's local leaders, faith leaders can be very important, social media executives, those in traditional media, print media, um, scientists and public health officials, among many others. And bring them together to come up with a solution to this problem, because it's going to require action from a wide variety of people in order to minimize it. So hopefully that summarizes how we can try to prevent spread of medical information. There's a lot more that I haven't mentioned, and now I'm going to hand back to Syria.
0: So hopefully you've all gained a good insight into what medical misinformation is, how it spreads, and hopefully you've gained some examples of how misinformation spreads. And most importantly, we need to know how to stop misinformation spreading so that we can have good, accurate medical information for healthcare professionals. So that's it for this week's episode of Medisodes. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.